The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. I'm Jared Clary. I'm over students and missions here at the church. And uh, so I get the privilege of of bringing the word this morning. Um, if you've got a Bible, then we're going to be kind of all over the place this morning. But you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we'll start. And so you can turn there. Real quick, I wanted to make an announcement that uh, one year ago, then Kevin Wilsey came on staff with us. He has been such a blessing to us. Um, it's been a joy for me to have known him at seminary um, and then to, to be able to work alongside him here. Um, and so it's been fun. It's been a year. Um, don't go anywhere. We got more plans for you. So um, y'all will, uh, if y'all see him, then, then tell him thank you for everything that he does. Well, this morning, then we're going to continue our second part of this series um, on, on God's attributes. So we're going to look at, at what God says when he discloses himself, that he's self-disclosing, he's self-defining. And so we're going to look at what God says when he says, I am love. Okay, so we're going to look at his attribute of love this morning, which if you think about that word love, then there's a ton of different things that come up. Right there, it can be used for like this incredible depth. Right, I started dating Kristen as a 21 year old, and as you start dating and things get serious, and then your friends start to ask, Do you love her? It's like, I don't know, there's this emotion that I get when I see her, think about her, and I look forward to spending time with her. And, and so, you start to think, Well, what is love? And it's easier to discuss love than it is to define it a lot of times. But then in the next sentence, it's like, man, I love this pizza. Right? It's like, what is this that we can use this word that means so much and then we can use it so flippantly, right? And, and so it's got this breadth of meaning. But what we're going to look at this morning is how God defines love and what God says about his own character of love. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. My hope is that as we discuss this, that at the end, I'm going to give you a definition of love that I think comes out of God's word that gives us a working definition for love. But before we start, there's a, there's a passage about love that I, I just love, right? <laughs> and, and it's this, this passage out of Romans chapter 5, verse 5, and it, it's... Paul's talking to these people and he's trying to encourage them. And he's like, he ultimately tells them, he says that, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. I just want you to think of that reality that, that this is the way that God's love is dispensed to us, that he pours it into us. He pours it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But, but I just, I love that picture. I'm a visual person. I always draw stuff out if I'm talking to people. But just that picture that God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So if you've got your Bible, then uh, hopefully you're at 1 John chapter 4. And I want to start in this passage and just read a passage to you. Um, to begin this morning. Starting in verse 7, here's what we see. John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, I want us to start there because it's in this passage that that we get God's self-disclosure. We learn from this passage that God is the source of love. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. That God is the source. But he goes on and tells us that God is the standard or complete fullness of love. He says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That there's a, a completeness, a fullness to what love is that is God. And so we see from this passage that our starting point for figuring out what love is and God's attributes of love is that, that we have to start with God. We can't look to our culture to define this for us. Our culture says all sorts of things. But God discloses it to us. And so this morning, as we talk about this, we see that God is the source of love, that God is the standard of love. But that's still very philosophical, right? It's still out there. It's like, okay, but, but how do I know God's love? How do I know this attribute of God? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you two aspects to where, of ways that we can know God's love. So two aspects of how we know God's love. The first is that we know God's love by his affection for us. We know God's love by his affection for us. Now, let's see where the scriptures tell us this. If, if you're still in 1 John, then look at verse 9. John says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Okay, so, so we're on the edge waiting for how was God's love made manifest to us? How was God's love made known to us? How was God's love made experienced to us? Well, look at what he says. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We know God's love because of his affection that he sent his son. We know God's love because the affection which he shows us by sending his son. You guys know this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That God's love is made known to us by his affection that he sent his son. Now, just think about that a minute. That God provided his most precious gift to us. It's especially relevant on Father's Day. That he sent his son to us. That we could experience life. That through his son, we could live. We know God's affection for us through his son. But there's more. We also know God's affection because of Jesus Christ's charity. Okay, now, now, if you're still in 1 John, then look at chapter 3, verse 16. Another John 3, 16, well worth memorizing. Here's what John says in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, by this we know love. Well, by what? By what? 
We're, we're asking that question. How do I know God's love? By this, we know love. And he's going to tell us what this is, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. We know God's love because of Christ's charity. If you are familiar with the gospel of John, then John talks about this earlier in that Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and he says this, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Jesus did this of his own accord. Now I could pull out my wallet and I could say, hey, here's all the money in it. Now for some of you guys that don't get excited, right? It's like, there's not much, but, but it's one thing for me to give away all of my money. It's another thing for me to give away all of my money. If there's a gun pointed at me, do you see the difference? There's a difference between charity and robbery. Jesus laid his life down of his own accord. There was no gun pointed at Jesus to lay his life down. He laid his life down simply because he loves you. Let me say that again. Jesus laid his life down simply because he loves you. No matter what trial you're facing, no matter what storm is raging, no matter what circumstances are surrounding you, the fact never changes that God loves you and he proved it by laying his life down. Jesus did it of his own will. Because he loves you. Now that ought to do something in us. That ought to provoke something in us. To be loved like that is unbelievable. For someone to lay their life down willingly. But that's not all. You see Romans chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Verses 6 through 8 tells us something more about God's love. That we can know God's love by the fact that he sent his son. We can know God's love and affection by the fact that Jesus laid his life down for us. But Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, tells us even more. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when we look at this verse, then we see that it's in the midst of, of our sin. Our lust, our greed, our pride, our selfishness, our lying, our stealing. It's in the midst of our sin that Christ died for us. It's not because we were lovable. It's not because we were pretty people. It's not because of anything attractive about us. It was purely based on the fact that God's affection was set upon us and he loves us. And so he laid his life down in order that we might live. The selflessness that we see, the self-sacrifice that we see proves God's affection for us. There was nothing lovely about us. There's nothing lovable about you or I. 
that caused Christ to lay his life down. Oh, the love that he has for us, that he would lay his life down for us in the midst of that. See, if if we start to grasp the reality of how much God loves us, to be fully known and still loved, we don't have to hide things from God. You don't have to try and pretend. You don't have to hide things from other people. It's in the midst of our sin and our disgust that Christ laid his life down for us. It's not us cleaning ourselves up first. Jesus looked upon you and said, you're lovely. And he laid his life down to show it, to make it manifest among us. That we would know God's love for us. The second point of God's, how we know God's love is that we know God's love by his correction of us. Now, another way you might say that is that, that we know God's love by his discipline of us. You see, there's nothing that can shake or change the fact that Jesus came, he walked upon this earth, he died, laid his life down willingly to take on your sin and my sin in order that we might live. There's nothing that can change that reality. No matter what circumstances are going on. But we get in these places where we start to feel disciplined or we start to feel the correction of the Lord and we start to think, wow, does God love me? But it's so unique that the scriptures actually tell us that is affirming that God actually loves you. When God disciplines you, you should be encouraged by the fact that he loves me enough to discipline me. You see, look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says to us. If you've got your Bible, um, flip there. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And the author of Hebrews here is quoting a proverb, Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. And so he's quoting that. And, and here's what he says. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Here's the quote. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, I have four kids. My wife is probably disciplining one of them right now. (laughs) Discipline is something that that we're used to. We see it all the time, right? And so, so what the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's saying, hey, now listen, like don't get all foreign on this. You discipline your own children because you love them and because you have a goal in mind. 
But don't get upset and don't get frustrated and don't question God's love for you when he disciplines you. Because it's out of his love, it's out of his affection which he has set upon you that he disciplines you. Why? In order that you might live. Christ laid down his life in order that you might live. He disciplines us in order that we might live. And so when we see this passage, then we ought to ask ourselves, have I been disciplined by God? Am I being disciplined by God? You see, discipline isn't this negative thing. Because discipline trains us for righteousness, that we would partake in his holiness. Discipline isn't this thing that stores up and then it comes out in a fit of rage like we might have seen here on earth. But God disciplines us, correcting us for our motives and our actions in order that we might live. You see, when we talk about God's love, it's not loving to allow someone to continue to walk in a direction that is harmful for them. It's not. It's not love. Love will take someone and say, that's not good for you. Go this way. Love will say hard things to people to correct them for their good in order that they might live. You see, Proverbs is filled with this this reality that, that the way of sin leads to death. But the way of righteousness leads to life. And so we take people from the path of death and we correct them. We discipline them. We turn them to the path of life. We know this with our children. Don't touch that. It's dangerous for you. Don't go there. It's dangerous for you. We discipline them for their good. You see, but we also know that discipline isn't a one-time thing. Discipline is a continual thing. Which, when we understand this, then it it begins to shed light on what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18 when he's talking about church discipline and how the church is to function in correcting one another and disciplining each other in order to keep us headed towards life and righteousness and holiness. You see, discipline is not a bad thing because it's through discipline that we know God's love for us. It's through discipline that we see God's affection for us. See, discipline is actually talked about all throughout the scriptures from Deuteronomy. When God's talking to Israel, then it says that he disciplines his children. Deuteronomy 8, 5, he says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. All the way to Revelation three nineteen, we see, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, all throughout, then, then we see that God disciplines those whom he loves. And as the author of Hebrews has told us, if you don't experience the discipline of the Lord, then you're not his child. We don't have to hide our stuff. God knows it all, and he said, I love you. But he didn't want to leave us in our stuff. And so he disciplines us for righteousness and holiness. It's through God's affection through his son and through his correction of us that we know God's love for us. So my prayer is this morning that as, as we hear these things, as we see this, that you would know God's affection for you. That you would know that, it, that God looks upon you and said, I love you and I want you to live. 
So from these two things, here's the definition that I come to. That love is the selfless affection and commitment to others' good. Love is the selfless affection and commitment to others' good. That God made manifest His love for us. And that Christ laid down His life for us because He loved us. And that He is committed to our good through discipline and correction. But the scriptures don't stop there. Flip back to 1 John. And 1 John is very, very clear as he's writing this letter to a group of believers. And he says this in 1 John 4.11. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, God's love and His affection and His correction of you doesn't stay just within us. There's something that happens that when God's love is poured into our lives, that the Scriptures tell us something else happens. That when His love is poured in our life, it will flow out. To everyone else. You see there's a reality to this. That, that we can't love. Unless God has poured it into us. There's no way. That you can love people that are unlovely. We know that. We dislike them. We avoid them. We, don't, we choose not to be around them. We, we avoid people that are unlovely. And unless God has poured his love into us, there is no way we can love others. But if God's love has been poured into you, then there's a reality that you will love others. Not with your love, not with your cheap love, not with your affinity love, but with the love of God that's selfless and committed You see, the scriptures tell us that that when we love people this way, that other people will see it and they'll know that we belong to him. And they'll actually be drawn to him by the way that we love one another. That when God's love is poured into our lives and it flows out from us, then people are actually drawn to God and it affirms in us and gives us confidence that we belong to God. But that's still hard for us, right? So there's a little thing that I do because I'm around people that are unlovely sometimes. I work with students. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I ask myself sometimes when I find people hard to love. If I use the same logic, if God used the same logic that I'm using to not love that person, would God love me? Yikes. I'm a pretty unlovable person. Ask yourself, when you find someone hard to love, if God used that same logic to dispense his love for me, would God ever love me? 
My guess is that pretty quickly you'll realize, no, God didn't use that logic. But God set his affection upon me while I was still sinning. There's nothing lovable about us. But it was his love that drew us to him. It was his affection for us that drew us to him. And as we love in that same way, then others will be drawn to the Lord. This morning, the application for you is simple. We're about to sing and worship. And my prayer is that as you've heard from God's word about his affection and and love for you, that there would be an overflow that comes out of you to worship him. It's what our life is supposed to be, is an overflow of of the affections which God has poured into us. That's the first application. Would you just worship God for the things he's done in your life? But the second application is that that we should love others in this way. Sometimes love looks like just affection poured out towards someone for their good in order that they would live. Sometimes love looks like correcting people and saying and doing hard things in order that they would live. So my prayer for you this morning is that that your affections for God would grow and that through that, you would love him and love others really well. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for disclosing yourself to us. God, for making your love manifest to us, for making your love known to us in the person and work of Christ. God, I pray that, uh, that as we see your love for us, Lord, it would compel us to live for you, to love others well. God, and I pray that as we experience your discipline in our life, God, we would repent of the things and we would pursue righteousness. God, we pray that you would make us a lovely people because you have poured your love into our hearts through the Spirit. Help us to be obedient to the things which you've called us this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.